Hey, welcome to episode 25 for Invest and Scale. This is your host, Gary Murillo. And in today's episode, we have Mohit with Blackbook Investment. This is a great story on how he started by buying an online website through Flipa and then building an investment company that specializes in helping investors acquire online assets. And he says the journey of how he started the investment firm to now being able to manage dozens of websites for investors and having a clear path to help investors buy digital assets. They have a very, very interesting model in how to partner up and invest and have a line incentive. And he also shares some of the learnings uh, by working with Empire Philippus Capital. So this is really great if you want to learn more about how, what it takes to invest, grow, and expand portfolio of companies. Enjoy this episode. Hey, Mahi, welcome to the show. Hey, Gabriel. Great to, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Well, I'm excited to learn more about you. I know we connected through a common connection um, yeah. on the podcast, uh, Ryan from Microacquisitions. So I'm Ryan. excited to, yeah. to hear more about your story and we'd love to get started by just sharing a little bit of your background adding to acquisitions. What were you doing professionally? Yeah, sure. So before that, actually, I was just uh, doing a job at a startup, to be honest. That was back in 2011 and 2012. I, I worked at a job with a startup for about a year. And before that, I just graduated college in 2011. So I wanted to, though I always want to do my own thing, but I, I thought it'll, it won't hurt to do a job for about a year to learn some, some skills and see how it's to do a job, you know? So, and that's what's the thing you were supposed to do after you graduated college. So I could, you know, appease my parents too. So I, I was working at a startup called Zomato. It was a food restaurant aggregator. And I was in, in the content team. I was, yeah, that's what I was doing before. I got started with Black Investments. Wow. So that's, it's been quite a few years after, yeah. you know, like a lot of these people are now jumping into the wagon and yeah. acquisition. You've been, a, you've been <laughs> around for a while. I've been there for almost a decade now. Yeah. 2012 when I started. Yeah. Excellent. So so take us back to like your first kind of deal when you said before you were doing in, investing yeah. and like acquiring businesses, how do you uh, learn about the online world? Like what took you to that, that path? Yeah. Yeah, I'll just give a quick backstory because that'll help the you know listeners more and relate to me more. So I was, you know, I read a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was in school, like maybe tenth grade, and that was kind of uh, the that's you know was the initial thing that kind of sparked the entrepreneurial spirit in me. And I was like, okay, I need to do my own thing, and I will do my own thing. So I was in school, and I was like, okay. And I was already kind of you know hustling and doing you know side gigs or you know fixing computers and all of that. <laughs> Of burning DVDs for friends and all that by that time to earn a side income. So I was already like in that mindset. It just gave me a push. And then when I was in college, I, you know, read another book called The Four Hour Work Week, which kind of gave me a direction as to how I can go about, you know, building the life that I'm envisioning. So what I did was I did not think about doing like a certain business and, you know, going for it. I decided how I wanted my life to be, what kind of lifestyle I wanted to live. And then I short, shortlisted the businesses that could, you know, support that lifestyle, like, you know, that would fit into that lifestyle. So I always wanted to have a freedom of time and, and location and work on my own terms. So that eventually boiled down to doing something online because I didn't want to do a physical location-based business that would tie, tie me to a place and, and time. So like everyone, you know, uh, I started, you know, searching, Googling, make money online, <laughs> how to make money online, all of that. 
So, you know, start with blogging. That's what everyone suggested I should do, you know. Start blogging, you know. You can, you can blog and make money. So I so while I was in the job in 2011 and 12 on the in the evenings and on the weekends I was learning how to build websites and how to do blogging. I was blogging. And though I I could not make any money from blogging, I learned skills that helped me later on when I bought these businesses. So I learned how to build websites, I learned how to manage, you know, these websites, the technical stuff. We were using WordPress, which is what we still use for the sites that we buy. And I also learned like to blog, basically, you know, writing, uh, you know, that skill is also important. So I could not make money from starting my blog from scratch, but I learned skills. So that was not in vain, I would say. So I got like, you know, kind of disheartened and like, okay, this thing is not working. Maybe they, they, it's right. It's a scam, maybe. <laughs> so, uh, okay, um, maybe I'll just, you know, go back to studying and maybe do another course. So I went for my master's in Australia and I, I started going to college there, but I did not like it. And I was like, you know, this is not, Definitely not, you know, what I should be doing. So I kind of dropped out, came back to India and without a plan. Uh, parents were not happy. But then I came across this site called Flippa.com, which is an Australian company. It's a website that lists, it's a marketplace for buying and selling online businesses. And I I saw that, okay, there were businesses going for as low as $1,000, $2,000 that were making money. So I was like, okay, maybe I can try my hand at this and uh, I might be good at, you know, growing something that's already making money. So I bought my first business in 2012, December for $2,500. It was a social media marketing uh, website, basically. It was a service-based website that, you know, helped people gain more following and more uh, following on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, I bought that for $2,500. It was making about $400 a month. So I bought it for about six times its monthly profit, which is really cheap back then. And uh, it worked out for me. It worked out well. I made about $6,000 running it about for six months and I grew it and I sold it after six months for $12,000. So I made good money on, on that one, the first business. And lucky for me, this worked out first time around because the second one I did was a scam and I got scammed and I was taken for a ride. I bought a similar business, but the income they were showing was not from the business. It was from some other business. So wow. Wow. I didn't know due diligence. So then I learned due diligence, you know, and then I even, I got scammed maybe once after that too. But then I learned my, you know, lessons and I, you know, learned by doing. So I kind of slowly graduated to buying bigger, bigger businesses, bigger websites. And in, in 20, I was visiting uh, Manhattan, New York, visiting a friend of mine and he was, a, he was into a hedge fund. I was living with him for a few, few days and he saw me working on my laptop and he asked me like, what do you do? And you know, you're sitting in cafes and at home and working on your laptop. So I told him I buy websites and I grow them and I make a living doing that. So he got interested. He had some money. He wanted to invest some money into this. So like, you know, why don't we do this? I put the money, you you do the work and we can, you know, do a profit share. So that's how the idea for Black Book Investments, which is my company, came about. And we bought a website for him for $11,000. It worked out well for both of us. And in, you know, in one year, he got his friends involved. He got his family involved. And we had a bigger budget. We had, you know, we were buying more sites for him, his friends, family, and even my my friends and family, they got interested. So I officially started Blackbook Investments in 2014, which is my company, which is a micro private equity company that buys and operates a portfolio of online businesses, majorly content businesses, I would say. And since 2014, we have, you know, bought and sold and, you know, grown, I'd say dozens of online businesses. We still hold a lot of businesses under Blackbook's own portfolio. But we also help investors invest in 
online businesses. These are active businesses. These are not passive investments. So they need management and growth. So that's what we do. We help them invest and then we manage and grow these businesses for them. So it is totally passive for the investors. And we do this in multiple ways, which we can discuss later. So yeah, this is how I came about starting yeah. BlackBook. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, congrats on that. I think that it actually, it's a pretty unique model. Of course, there is, you know, all kind of different ways to acquire businesses, but it sounds like what you yeah. guys are doing, it, it's a pretty fun, exciting way to share the yeah. risk, but also the rewards with, you know, great people. And, exactly. you know, if you win, great. If you lose, you kind of like, we're all in the same boat. It's not like, yeah. like you say back on your experiences where you're like, hey, this is a massive opportunity. You go do it. And it's like, well, so that's going to happen yeah. with investments no matter what. Like, you know, exactly. every, every, you know, every 10 businesses be two or three yeah. that are not going to exactly. make it. Right. Yeah. So, exactly. yeah. So great. And then, and then do you have any specific niches or you're like agnostics or, or not actually in terms of like yeah, what you buy? Or? So, so we majorly do content sites. There's e-com stuff also, e-com stores and e-com businesses, the SaaS businesses, software businesses, or service-based businesses. We focus primarily on content websites that are monetized via display ads or affiliate marketing. We are mostly niche agnostic, but we don't do certain niches like adult or, you know, those. but we are niche agnostic. Ideally, we prefer niches that are evergreen. So, you know, the content that we put out can, you know, stand the test of time and continue earning revenue rather than doing a fad, which is, you know, there today, but not tomorrow. So then that investment goes to waste. So we, we try and, you know, do evergreen niches, basically. So like audio, like health and fitness, uh, like technology, because that's never going out of, you know, style. So, yeah, we try to do evergreen niches, I would say. Yeah, and is the vast majority of the investments all U.S. based, or you have other like locations as well? You're buying these sites. I know there's quite a few opportunities yeah. internationally, or is it just U.S. Lo based? Location agnostic again. So a lot of them do come from the U.S. I would say. Okay, interesting. Very, very cool. I have a ton of questions, but like I said, I'm going to take it slowly here yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because I'm pretty sure you get you get a lot of the same questions over and over again. So I'm going to try to make it simple <laughs> for the audience to digest yeah. because you're being super generous with your time. So in terms of the kind of best yeah. investments and kind of lessons learned, like you say, the past and years, what are some of the kind of best, let's say, two or three deals you think like that was just a phenomenal output? And then, you know, we can chat about like the other ones that didn't go too, too well. And like, what were kind of your lessons learned? Yeah, so lessons learned would be like, I always try to... Uh, make a good deal when I'm buying. So the money is made in the buy is what I believe in. And I always try to get the best deal I can for myself or my investors. And that is why, you know, we've been successful so far because we kind of negotiate hard on behalf of our investors and try to get them the best deal. So uh, the money is made in the buy. That's what I would say because, you know, even if you're not able to sell it for a profit later on, if you save money on the buy, your ROI is always going to be higher. So that's one thing I always kind of live by. I, I tend to not get into bidding wars or, you know, any such things. So I just let them be. But I, I want to have, you know, just make a fair deal for the seller as well as for us so that it makes sense because I am, at most of the times I'm buying for investors and I have to justify to investors so that I can give them the ROI. Because if I'm buying high, I'm not able to achieve that ROI and that kind of defeats the purpose. So that's one thing that I would say is one learning and one thing I follow. 
Yeah, yeah. And now in terms of like particular deals, like you don't have to disclose the name or anything, but like deals that you remember that you say like that was a great investment versus like another one that was like, well, that didn't really work out. It could be there like the industry, like, you know, structure deal or whatever you want to share. Sure. So I'll I'll give you an example of a site that kind of uh, turned turned out not to be as great, but then we kind of saved it before that happened. It'll be an interesting case. We'll actually doing a case study with Impact Clippers on, on this one. So there was a site we bought in 2021 last year for about half a mil, and it was doing I think 12,000 or something, 13,000 a month. So we, you know, we did the deal, everything. We we went into the inspection period, but then the site got hit by a Google update, and for no reason actually, because the site was had been around for eight years, it was clean as ever, and there was no reason for it to get hit, but it did. And luckily for us, it was in the inspection period, and the revenue got hit. Like severely, so it was half of what it it should have been in that inspection period, and we were able to renegotiate that deal so that we did not pay the whole amount up front. We paid only half the amount up front, which was the magnitude of the hit, and the remaining fifty percent would be paid after one year, based on how much the site makes in the next twelve months. So if it made as it was to make, if it made that much money, we would pay the whole amount fifty percent, but. If it did not, then we would do a slabs and, you know, we'll pay them according to what, how much the site made in the, in the next 12 months. So that was something that could have gone wrong, but we kind of saved it and did a better deal. So now, yeah, the site did not fully recover. So that way we didn't end up paying the full amount, basically. Uh, so yeah, we we saved I think yeah good money. And how how do you structure that? Was that like that inspection thing? First time that I'm hearing that is that something that you guys kind of pioneer is it's not pretty well known out there or is it more more common on the common on the content yeah, it industry is, it's not too common i would say but empire flippers do 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 this like in their clauses the, there's a clause that says if the income or the traffic either of that goes down by 50 percent during the inspection period you know based on the average if it goes down below 50 percent then the buyer has the right to reverse the deal so we went down by 51%, just <laughs> made it to, you know, reverse. so we did not reverse the deal because the site was good and we believed in the fundamentals. So we just restructured the deal that way. So this is one tip I would give anyone, you know, not just doing content sites, I would say, but doing any other kind of business, SaaS or e that, you know, you can put this in your LOI or the agreement, the sale agreement or whatever, that if the revenue or traffic or any important metric goes down by a certain number, the buyer has the right to reverse or restructure the deal because this is very helpful. And and with Google updates so common these days, you know, anything can happen anytime. So it's better for you to be covered. And that we're also saved against scams in the sense that let's say you're buying an e-com business, you know, the buyer can, the seller can maybe inflate the revenue figures, the sales figures by having his friends and family buy stuff from the store, which they'll not buy after you've bought it. So you got to see the revenue. If it's still consistent for that inspection period, you know, ideally that way, because the money in the inspection period goes to the buyer. Uh, just so you know, maybe this tip also, a lot of people don't know. So the, from the moment the money, uh, the buyer sends the wire to into the escrow, ideally that's how everyone does it. The income that accrues from that day onwards goes to the buyer, not the seller. So, so you know, they can have this clause that if, if the income goes down or the traffic goes down by a certain percentage, they can reverse the deal. So it's harder for someone to scam you in that case. Yeah. 
So, so just to walk through that, because again, I'm I'm pretty sure that I mean some people may be super aware of this, but just kind of like break it down. I didn't know about it, and I love learning more about this yeah, yeah. different thing. It's something that Emperor does. Is is it thirty, sixty, or like ninety days process? So we do uh, Emperor Clippers does it for fourteen days, fourteen calendar days. So that's two weeks, and that's kind of like a standard for content deals. I would say. For bigger content deals, let's say half a million and above, you can always negotiate a longer period, you know, to see the performance of the business. But yeah, for something like hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars, it's usually about ten to fifteen calendar days that is pre-agreed upon with the by the buyer and the seller. So yeah, got it. So let's let's just come out scenario. Let's say that you close a deal November first, and then you take two weeks. So, so you close, and, and the closing means that you transfer half a million dollars on an escrow, so they seller doesn't get you know half a million yeah, dollars they, they just get that in escrow. okay yes yes so the moment it hits escrow the income goes to the buyer basically as in it's accrued it might hit the seller's bank account but they have to pay it to the buyer from that day onwards calculate it and pay it after the whole uh, the transfer is done basically yeah okay and the escrow service that you guys use you mind sharing that one yeah so with empire flippers they offer their own escrow service which is themselves and they take care of the migration and everything. So it's fairly hands-off and it's good for new new people, new investors who are looking to buy businesses. But other than that, like for whatever we do ourselves, we use escrow.com. It's the, I think the only, it's not the only, but it's the best, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And what are the kind of rates for uh, like a half a million, million dollar deal? Like what's the rates that they will take? Yeah. So, so we did a $100,000 deal just uh, last week and the fee was about, thousand dollars so I, I would say about one percent uh and then it kind of keeps decreasing as you you know the deal size increases so if you if you're saying something like you know half a million dollars that would be about forty four fifty it'd be from on escrow.com so that's less than one percent forty four fifty yeah great awesome yeah well thanks for sharing that that's super yeah. super cool that you guys were able to go through yeah. kind of like that deal structure that experience now in terms of like a uh a, a deal that you guys bought and like you just completely took off and like really yeah. su- you know surprised you and your team and the investors like like uh, any any examples of those? Yeah, so we bought you know we're working with the Empire Flippers on their Empire Flippers Capital Program, and uh, we've done two rounds with them. Round one we raised one million. Round two we raised one point five. We skipped round three and we're doing round four right now. We've, we've already crossed half a million mark in less than a week, maybe a week or so. So in round two. We bought five deals and uh, two of the five deals, or actually three of the five deals kind of turned out really well because they were on a growing trajectory and we could buy them for a great price. But one particularly among them stood out you know, to us because when we bought it, the average was $8,000 a month for that deal. And we bought it like six months ago. And it was on a growth trajectory. It was going growing steadily. But we did some tweaks on it and we you know, captured some low-hanging fruit on that one introduced maybe a new income stream last three four month average is sixteen thousand on that one so we, we doubled it in a span of like six to eight months so that turned out really really well for us most recent one in fact yeah excellent was that great optimization was that like a bunch of or what was the kind of scope of the work that your team did yeah so we kind of you know cleaned up the site in the sense like we fixed up on on page stuff we did technical seo on that one i think it was not using the best uh, display ad network out there. It was using a display ad network, but not the best one. So we switched the ad network and that increased our earnings by 15, 20%. There were some, you know, on the affiliate pages, there were 
products that the pages were recommending, the site was recommending, but they were out of stock or had been discontinued. So we did the affiliate link audit and we product audit. So we replaced all those products that bumped up the income further. And some bump, we know we got just because there was a lot of interest in that niche and people were just maybe buying more for some reason. So that was a, you know, a helpful thing that happened that was not in our control. So that was a bump that we got. So all in all, you know, and we didn't do any uh, anything, no no outreach campaigns, no link building, just on-page stuff. To, and, and we did CRO also, but not extensive. We hadn't got to it yet. So, but since it's doing fairly good, I mean, I probably might not touch too much of it for CRO. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Totally. And just out of curiosity, you guys do paid media on any of these content sites or just keep it super organic? Yeah, super organic. Yeah. The paid media does not give the ROI because we're not selling anything. The content is the product. It doesn't make as much. <laughs> yeah, got it. So you mentioned Empire Freepler Capital Program. Do you mind like what's been your experience and like what what is like for you? Uh, so you guys are an operator. Is that kind of your role in the whole thing? Yeah. So we are portfolio managers on Empire Flippers Capital Program, and Empire Flippers Capital Program is a program that Empire Flippers came up with initially. It's a separate entity now, but they came up with this program because there were a lot of investors who had a lot of money but they did not have the experience to buy and run businesses, such businesses. And then they saw this gap in the market where they saw experienced operators, portfolio managers, business owners, who were doing their own thing, running their own sites for businesses, who were good at it. So they thought, why not bridge the gap between these two and make a platform out of it so that people who are looking to invest, they can you know, invest into these operators and these operators can then go and buy businesses from this money and run and grow them, basically. So that's how it came about. Mike Rankovich, he's the guy who started EF Capital, and we were there with them since the round one. So I think it's a really great concept and probably first time being done for such assets. You know, people have done it for like all kinds of things like sneakers or collectibles or artwork or real estate, like the fractionalized ownership. But fractionalized ownership for online businesses is still not, you know, like businesses make revenue, not startups. Businesses generating revenue and profit. So I don't think there's any fractional investing platform for these businesses, which is what EF Capital is achieving to do. And I think they're doing a great job at it. And like I said, we're doing round three and collectively we're looking between the four deals, we're looking to raise eight to 10 million. And we're already crossed about 1.7 at the moment. So, and I, my deal is for content. There are other deals, one for e-commerce, one for FBA, fulfillment by Amazon, and one for Kindle publishing. And what you mean like those deals? So let's just, just kind of uh, get some clarity on. So your, is a deal or is it just an open deal? Like what's the structure? Like does investor get to what you are presenting? What's the uh, package that it's presented to investors? So it, it's fairly simple. I put up my... Uh, the money I'm looking to raise, I put that up on my deal page. And what I'm going to do with that money, let's say uh, Moit is looking, Moit from Blackbook Investments is looking to raise two to three million dollars to buy content to to buy four to five content sites in the price range of two hundred thousand dollars to eight hundred thousand dollars. That's what it looks like. The summary, and then people can you know decide based on their preferences who they want to invest with and what model they want to invest in. Maybe someone prefers ecom more. Than, than content, but usually most people they invest equally among all the between all the deals so that they are well diversified. I would say so that's diversification within diversification because all these four operators are doing different business models, 
And within these different business models, they're buying multiple businesses. So there's two levels of diversification, I would say. So the risks are fairly hedged, I would say. Got it. So if I come in and we have a million and I say, I want to just break it down in those four different buckets. So then it is the expectation that I'm going to put, you know, those half a million. And let's say that total, totally across four deals, it's like a million. So we, is, is there other investors that are going to join as well? And then FE or what? It's your call. It's your call. So how much you want to put in each deal? The minimum is 15,000 per deal. If you do all four deals, if you only do one or two deals, it's 25,000 per deal. So that's the minimum. And then you can go as high as uh, you want to. There's no limit to that. And once we reach, so, so there's a range that we're looking to raise. And then there's some buffer. So let's say two to three million. So when we reach three million, then we stop there. But there's a 30% buffer. So we can go up to 3.9. But yeah, the minimum is to, for my deals, one to one to two million. So yeah, after one million, the deal will be happening. If I don't raise one million, then the deal is not happening, basically. So that's how it is. So once the money is raised, I think they're doing it for one and a half months, six to seven weeks is the race period, uh, which is going on right now until December 15th. Once that is done, then we start deploying that money into buying assets and buying businesses, basically. So we have about six, 90 days, yeah. Yeah. And is it like a three to five years lockdown period on the capital or? Yes, you're right. It's about three to four years, I would say. Okay. Very cool. Great. No, excellent. And outside of Empire Filters, are you guys doing something direct with investors? What's kind of like your opportunity for yeah, people that yeah. are listening that say, yeah, I would love to learn more about that? That's a good question. So... Like I said, we've been doing this with investors for a long time now, you know, uh, uh, before capital came or before, uh, you know, anyone was doing something like this. So we do work with investors. That's our main thing. We do invest uh, work with investors one-on-one. That's how we started back in the day. And we work one-on-one with them to find, identify the right business for them to buy. The minimum is $100,000 right now. So uh, for that amount, you know, I think we're able to find a good business that's throwing off enough cash flow to give them a good return and also cover our fee. So that's why we keep the minimum at $100,000. It was 50000 before, like a couple of years ago, but those have gone up, prices have gone up. So we had to increase it to $100,000. In one-on-one, uh, how we work with investors is that you come to us, you, you know, you fill out the investor questionnaire on our website, which I can send you the link to. Then based on your preferences, you know, we, we got on call and we discuss what you're looking for. And based on your preferences, we start looking for a business for you to buy. And it could be that you're looking for more, you know, dividend play rather than, you know, capital growth. So that, that you know, changes things a little bit. We talk to you, we understand your, you know, expectations, and then we start looking for deals for you to buy. And then we present you with deals that we pre-vet and the deals that we like, we send them your way. If you like anything, you let us know, and then we dig further into them. We we do deeper due diligence at multiple levels by multiple people, and then if you want to move further on any particular deal, then we I get on a call with sell with the seller, multiple calls if needed. I negotiate on behalf of the investor so that it's totally passive for them, and then I get the deal done for them, and then do the escrow part, and then to do the transfer of the business and everything. I I handle everything, you know. So me and my team we do that. And up until this point, we charge a 10% finder's fee. So 10% of the deal size. The idea being, you know, I want to you know, save you more than I'm charging you. So I'm able to save more money on the buy by negotiating on your behalf than I'm charging you. So that's the idea. And once the deal has been done and transferred, also it's very transparent. So the money does not go to, you don't send me money or to BlackBook. You, the money goes directly to escrow. You know who the seller is. The seller knows who the buyer is. I'm only facilitating. And once the escrow is 
done and the money is released, you have the control. And also, you have, as an investor, have the control of the domain, of the site files, everything. So everything is in your control. It's very transparent. So, And you also, you receive the income too, by the way, as an investor. Wow. We invoice you for our fee. So everything is in your control. It's very transparent. You get to see what the business is making. So once that's done, then we start managing and growing the site. We present you with a plan for the site, like a growth plan, and get your approval in that. Maybe we'll have you set aside some funds for the growth to be put into the growth of the business in the initial months before it starts throwing off, you know, before you start collecting the income from it. And we present you the plan and we start executing it. And then for that, we charge a monthly uh, fee, a retainer, uh, which starts at uh, $1,500 a month and goes higher depending on the size of the business. So this is how, how we work with one-on-one investors. Uh, you are, it's your side. You're free to exit whenever you want. But we do share, you know, in the upside, an equal uh, part in the upside. So if we are able to sell for more than we bought it for, that's what our aim is, then we equally share the upside after all the fee. And if there's any brokerage, if we end up selling it on a brokerage. And how do you structure that particular one? How do you structure that particular size of like the upside? Is that a, an option on the equity or like is that just uh, that you do whenever... Uh, they just sell, or like how do you just an agreement so we manage the whole thing we manage it for them they are free to exit whenever they want ideally i tell them keep it for two to three years because that gives us enough time to grow it properly and then when we do sell and if you realize a capital gain after all the fee and investments that is shared equally between the investor and black book because that's what we're working towards you know the retainer just about covers our fee like our expenses right we have two offices we have 25 people full-time now the team is growing so the retainer is not what we're working for, you know, we don't make money there. So we're working towards our goals are aligned. We're working towards that capital gain that we can give the investor. Apart from the, of course, that the investor is getting, but the fee that we charge is is just about to cover our expenses and you know team expenses and tools and all that stuff. We are looking for the growth which we can give to the investor. So that's how the one-on-one thing happens. Very, very interesting. So with the management fee, it's not based on revenue. It's not based like you guys define like, all right, this is our service. This is the scope of what we're going to do. It can be 1500 It can be 10000 yes. depending on how big the size is, this what you're going to do, yeah. Yeah. what the planet is. So yes, exactly. it's almost like an agency fee, but really you're invested in the outcome. And like you say, I want to really get you to succeed. So we all win and we share. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It used to be a percentage of the revenue, but we decided to move to a fixed fee model because that's more palatable to investors and that's what they're more comfortable with rather than sharing 40%, 50% of the revenue. They're more comfortable sharing a fee, which is fine. We, we, we make less, which is fine. But like I said, we're working towards that capital growth that we can give. But there's a second thing that we have on offer, which we introduced last year, which is a group buy where we pull money from multiple people, multiple investors and make a pool and buy multiple assets using that pool. And we started this because there was a lot of demand for people who wanted to invest in websites but did not have 100000 to invest or did not want to invest $100,000. So the minimum for this is 25000 and then in increments of $5,000. And we did the first round in 2021, quarter one. We raised about 330, 340K as the, in the pilot round. We bought three or four assets using that those funds. We did a follow-up round in 2022, quarter one. And added another 330k to that, so I think we're standing at 650k right now in, in that pool. We have five or six sites in that pool right now, and investors own equity in Wyoming in, in a Delaware LLC that we formed. So all the investors, it's not a fund; it's a group buy. All the investors are part of that multi-member LLC. 
So they have like, you know, rights to that holding company in, in the percentage is depending on what they invested and what the total pool size is right now. So if it's 500,000 and you invested 50,000, then you own 10% of that LLC basically. And we are doing, we're going to be doing these more often instead of once a year. So we're doing the next one in December, January, uh, the next month. And then hopefully we'll be doing one every quarter or at least six months. And we already have like, I think $450,000 committed for the next, next round. So that's the group buy. The structure for that one is very simple. We are distributing 40% of the revenues. So of the revenue. So it's fairly clear, like $100 come in, we pay $40 as the dividend to investors. There's no expenses, you know, there's no ambiguity. 40% of the total revenue goes to investors as dividends. 30% goes towards the growth of the sites, which is into content, into CRO, into outreach campaigns, link building, all of that stuff. And 30% of the revenue goes to BlackBook for their effort and for the Black, for BlackBook as their fee, basically. Again, we share equally in the upside. If we end up selling for more than we bought them for, we do 50-50 with investors. And the timeline for this is also three years minimum. So this has made it more accessible for wow. a lot of people because we have a lot of people in who want to invest 30, 40K, not 100K. So, yeah. Excellent, excellent. And in terms of the kind of, for that particular model, I'm always being curious. I, I'm familiar with more like the crowdfunding route, yeah. which I'll ask you yeah. a few questions about that. But on this one, I think one of the things that, you know, people will ask themselves is like, how do you guys handle you know, 20 different investors. Of course, there's always going to be one that is more worried and like it's on top of stuff. It's too much. And like, um, do you have any opinion on that? Good question. So what we do is it's fairly, like I said, this is also passive for investors. It's not an active thing. We we also don't take our one inputs from the investors. They're free to give them though, but it's up to us if we, you know, implement those because most of the investors are not from the same field. So we need to educate them beforehand, you know, what we're doing and make them understand the risks of the business because if they don't understand the risks, we turn them down. We don't want to take money from anyone or everyone. So we do that for, we turn people down all the time, like for one-on-one, for a group buy, all of that. But yeah, so we do a reporting structure, which is a monthly report that details everything that we did in the past month, the performance of the business and what we're planning for the next month. It has everything that you would want to know as an investor. So there's not many questions left after that. And out of 20, maybe one or two people might have a question once a year. So because the details are, the the reports are detailed so that they don't have any questions in that sense. And the the payouts are every quarter. So quarterly payouts and monthly reports kind of makes it easy for investors to keep a track of what's happening with the assets. And we have a CFO. We have a CFO. So our CFO handles the investor management role for the group buy. Yeah. Now, so yeah, this is fascinating. And I think, yeah, thanks for breaking it down. Like so detailed. This is super helpful. I hope the listeners are well get get super excited and interested in, in, in that. If they do, we'll be adding all the links in here and, and the way to contact your team. So in terms of this sure. model, the group bar, which is pretty appealing with all these other platforms, like, you know, I think it's WeFunder and like a bunch of others, websites like that. Have you evaluated or done any of those where you go raise equity from other people and just pull it through a platform like those or you want to i got it sounds to me like it's better to do it the way you're doing it because you're going to save a ton of money if you do it through a crowdfunding platform you're gonna they're gonna take 10 20 percent or something like that but you may attract for the investors so you have any pros and cons on platforms like that yeah so i don't know if there's a platform that does uh, 
uh, equity, you know, raising for online businesses and all. I, I don't know of any, if there is any. And we haven't explored that because we are looking to work, you know, intimately with investors to understand their goals, their aims. And we want to, we, you know, we even customize uh, structures and, and deal structures for them so that it, it, it has to work for the both of us. So we customize sometimes, you know, like a family office came to me last year and they had half a million dollars to invest. And so we made a custom structure for them. Uh, we bought three websites using that fund and we gave them a, a custom pricing for the monthly retainer for all three sites and a different structure because they wanted to put in all the money back into the growth. They did not want to take any dividends. So we want to work one-on-one with you as an investor and help you achieve your goals, basically your ROI goals. From you know, so that's what we do. So we want to be more intimate with the investors. That's why we, we don't do crowdfunding. Second thing is that I think we have you know knock on the wood, we have enough business to keep us busy. So we're not looking to go out and you know get extra business and and all of that stuff. And you know if we raise a uh, hundred thousand dollars through an equity platform and we have to give them twenty percent, thirty percent, then that's already lost our life for investors, which we don't want. You know, the aim is not to raise money. The aim is to give ROI to investors. So that's why we, we don't do any platforms. We work directly with the, and EFC works because again, it, it, it lets us invest pretty much all the money raised into buying these deals. We do earmark some, some funds for the growth, but yeah, we deploy pretty much all of it that way. Interesting. Very cool. And when you were talking about dividend versus capital growth, like you explained, that depends on the investor itself and like their plan and everything. Have you seen? You know, for the other model that that we were going, how do you call that other model? It's just instead of group buy. Yeah. Okay, the group buy one on one and and group buy. There we go. All right. So for the one on one, and have you seen any obstacles or challenges when people are like, "Hey, I just want dividends," versus like, you know, I just want capital grow when I exit in three years? Is that challenging for growing the side or not? Or so it's that's why we want to you know get a clarity on it before we buy what you're looking to achieve because. If there's no clarity, then there might be issues later on. So if someone is looking for stable dividends uh, and, you know, dividend ROI, not so, don't care so much about the capital growth, then we look for businesses that have been around for a long while, that have shown a stable history of earnings and a stable history of traffic uh, and stable history of growth also. Like some growth is good. They might not have grown, you know, like crazy, but some growth over the years, you know, every year, year on year, some growth added up to a lot of growth. So we buy more stable businesses. They might not have much scope for capital appreciation because the seller has kind of done everything that is there to do, but it's the cash cow. So we will go for that for someone looking for dividends. But if someone is looking for, you know, multiplying their investment, like, you know, getting the capital gain out of it, then we'll look for something that's growing at a fast pace and that has a lot of scope. So we can implement the things that the seller has not implemented and achieve that growth that's left on the table. Sometimes these sites are also risky because they're fairly new, not as old as are as established as something that we would buy for someone looking for a dividend ROI. But then the aim is different here. The aim is to get a higher capital growth. So that way we'll adjust the strategy in mind, the right deal, which has a, pre, a scope for the growth, basically. Yeah. Totally, totally. Great. Excellent. No, that, that makes sense. In terms of just kind of sharing some of the scope, like the size of deals that you guys are doing and kind of the scope, I think you, you do talk publicly about some of the numbers, like in general, like you manage X amount of yeah. revenue and everything. Yeah. Um, is there, yeah. are there some stats you think help 
uh, people understand more about what you guys yeah. are doing right now, how many sites or like in this can be arranged? Sure, sure. So right now, I think we manage about 30-odd sites, 25 to 30-odd sites at the moment, ranging from anywhere from $100,000 to six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars in 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 the in valuation range. Secondly, we are managing about we have eight to nine million in AUM assets under management. We're almost touching ten million dollars. I think with the raise that we the third the fourth round that we're doing with Empire Flippers, total assets under management would be crossing ten million dollars. Hopefully I'll double check because valuations keep fluctuating based on the average you know income that the, the business has made. But yeah, we're in that eight to ten million management, uh, like uh, ballpark um, asset under management. And historically, in terms of ROI, which I think your investors, uh, sorry, your listeners would be interested in, historically, in over the last seven, eight years, we have been able to provide 20, 29%, 30% annualized ROI to investors after all the fee, basically. Now, that has gone down in the recent past because multiples have increased, the prices have increased. So, but we're still holding about 20%. Anywhere between 20-25%. Our aim is to still cross 25%, and you know, because that's a good ROI, I think, for the amount of risk that the investors are taking. So yeah, we're still above 20. We have given historically 28-29% on average, and we're always aiming to achieve 25% and above for ROI after all the fee and everything to investors. Yeah, very, very interesting. I think one of the cool things that I, I was chatting with Ryan here in the podcast was about the pros and cons of like a traditional fund structure versus what he's doing and what you're doing, which is more personalized, more unique, more a bunch of more levers and opportunities versus like yes. a traditional fund. Exactly. There may be other agendas and whatnot. So is that how you feel as well, like raising a traditional fund? Yes, I feel the same because there's more flexibility. And I think rightly so, because when I'm when I'm, you know, asking someone to invest hundred thousand dollars into something, that's a lot of money for someone, you know. And I want to make sure that it is deployed in the right way into the right asset. And the structure is right between BlackBook and that investor so that it works for the both of us. Whereas in, in bigger funds or different kinds of funds that you, you might not have a say at all, basically. You, you, money is all you can give and, and just keep your fingers crossed. So it's it's much more personal, I would say. And that's how I work. That's my style of working. I, I, I want to know my investors. I want to get to know their aims, what they do, you know, who's who all are in their family, why are they doing what they're doing? I want to educate them on on this whole online business investing thing because if they don't know the risks, then I don't want them to get in surprises. So they should know all the risks involved. And only they're okay with that. Only then I would take the money from them, basically. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, you're just touching on that. But that was my follow-up question was where yeah. we kind of hear like why we should invest with you. What would it be like some reasons not to invest with you? Like do not invest with block book investments because xyc what would it be some of those yeah i would say not so much as why not to invest with black book i would say why not to invest in websites in general but yeah we can cover both why not to invest in websites is something you know what i can say is that it's a risky asset like sometimes things are not in your hands like google comes up with an update and your site starts to get much less traffic than it, it did and there's not much you can do about it even though you fixed everything it did not go back up so those are risks that are not in your control or maybe Amazon decides to cut commissions one day and now you're making half of what you're making from Amazon. So those are, you know, outside risks that you have no control over. So if you are very, you know, finicky about losing your money or capital, I would say this might not be for you. This is a high risk, high reward thing. So only do it if you're okay with the risks involved. 
which is what I tell all my investors and educate them about it and turn them down also at times. And why not to invest with us? I mean, I, to be honest, I don't have a reason for you. I would say that if you know how to buy and grow businesses, you can do it yourself and you don't need Blackbook. But interestingly, people who know that, even they invest with us. Why? Because they can only do so much. I have people in, as investors who you know, know how to run websites, know how to grow websites. They have all the knowledge. They have done it before. But now they want to multiply that because they only have so much bandwidth. So they trust in us and they invest more with us. And especially, I like working with them because they know the space and I can talk to them, you know, and they know the risks. So it's less, it's easier to educate them because they're already educated and they've done it before. So even they who know how to do this, they do it with us. So I, I would say, like, I, I don't really see a reason for not to take advantage of this asset class. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, makes sense. Great. And just kind of like with, with us coming here to, uh, to an end of the, of the show, what is kind of your vision in the next three to five years? I know we're going into a recession, a lot of uncertainty. There are things changing left and right. There's all this, yeah, stuff going on in the world. But, you know, from a personal perspective, of course, business related, but what, what excites you? What's your vision outside of, you know, just there's, a, you know, in, in the e-commerce industry, there's hundreds, if not thousands of aggregators doing yeah. Acquisitions and whatnot. So, but you have you, Mohit, and your team have a particular vision. So, three to five years. You talk about lifestyle at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Um, is that still a component that you kind of uh, come including your vision, or like, yeah, any anything else you want to share about your vision? Yeah. So, like I said, I'm passionate about content and content businesses in general. That's why we focus solely on them, and I think we are good at it. Me and my team. We've been doing this for a long time. So. You know, like you said, there are aggregators for e-com, there are aggregators for FBA businesses. Hell, there are aggregators for SaaS businesses too. There are not so many aggregators for content businesses. So what my vision would be to be like, uh, you can say that, I'm mean, be an aggregator for content businesses. But more than that, I would say be a new age media company that owns digital properties that like Dot Dash Media. They own some of the biggest properties, media properties on the internet. And the information is the product. So there's no physical product, you know, there's no order to fulfill, no physical products to ship, you know, no software to fix bugs in, all of that. But I think content has the power to change things and, and reach a lot, of, a lot of people. And that's where I see myself because I'm passionate about content in general. So, you know, be a media company that owns multiple high value brands, basically, you know. Like the New York Times bought the wire cutter for $30 million. So I want to be, I want to be that, like a media company, which has multiple seven, eight, nine figure brands, media brands under it. So that's the idea. And we're getting there slowly. Yeah. Yes, indeed, man. Congratulations. That's very inspiring. I think people listening can tell you're passionate. I can tell you're passionate about it. So <laughs> yeah, thanks for sharing that enthusiasm. I think that's, that's what set us apart. What That's what I was going with the question about aggregators. It's like, yeah. it's the passion, right? Where you know, don't get me wrong, like there's probably a bunch of passionate people there are there with aggregators, but that's kind of cool thing about this ecosystem on acquisitions yeah. and, and the people that we're bringing to the show. It's like there's still that passion, that excitement yes. that kind of sets you apart when things go wrong, when things are like what's going on with the world, like Google yeah. updates and things left and right. You still get excited about it. It's not just exactly. the money. It's like joy. It. Exactly. It's, it's a game. It's about, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was great to have a, a refreshing set of questions, to be honest, Gabriel. I've 
done a lot of podcasts, to be honest, and not all of them are as engaging as this was. So thank you for asking all the good questions. And I hope you covered a lot of you know questions on and i hope your listeners do benefit from it otherwise you know all those repetitive questions kind of you know get repetitive and i get like you know bored yes. repeating the same information but this was really refreshing i would say so thank you for that awesome no thanks for, for the feedback appreciate that and to wrap up the final kind of section here uh what would be your final kind of advice for either investors that are looking to buy on their own or work with companies like you i would say however you do it whether on your own or through a company, or through EF Capital, or through me, or through directly, or any of my competitors, I would say don't miss the boat. I think we're still in the wild, wild west. So take part, participate, and invest in these new age businesses. These are not startups. These are cash-flowing businesses, and they are you know, going to be around for a while. So this is still just the beginning. So make the most of it. Participate in any way you can, however small or big. So, yeah. Excellent. Thank you. There we go. Excellent. Well, I appreciate your time and your experience, your journey. Excited to have you probably next year to some get some updates. So again, for the people listening. I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah. All the links are yeah. on the show notes. Blackboard Investments. And if you want to reach out to Mohit and his team, you can do that through the website. Uh, yeah. yeah, looking forward to hear more about your journey and, and thanks for coming in. Thank you, Gabriel. I hope to talk to you again next year. <laughs> Cheers. Take care.